What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Walenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Swim Masters. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison. Thank you for tuning in as always. Today, I got the opportunity to virtually chat with the wonderful Laura Penrose, who is the owner of Nick Rail Music out in sunny California. And we talked all about her journey into the music industry, her experience working in both retail and manufacturing her decision behind deciding to buy a business, and what her experience was like as a first-time business owner in the middle of a pandemic. We also talked about her work-life balance and her family life, and I really hope that it resonates with a lot of you. So with that said, before we get into the episode, from all of us at SWIM, we know that the holidays are going to look very different for a lot of you this year, but we just wanted to wish you a happy and healthy and safe Thanksgiving. We'll be back at the beginning of December with a few more episodes to help wrap up 2020. Yes, we are almost at the end of 2020. We're so close. So we're excited for the lineup of women that we have and the episodes that we have coming up. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But for now... Happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining Swim Masters. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I would love to start by talking about your journey in the music industry. How did you get to where you are, and where did that journey take you? Sure. Um, It's a little bit of a long story just because it started when I was so young. I started taking piano lessons when I was four and, you know, was really competitive with that all growing up. So I got into college. I was headed for a music degree. Um, I went to BYU and I started as a piano performance major. And when I really got into it, I was only about a semester in when I realized that's a lot of time by myself in a practice room, just (laughs) every day, all day. Yeah. (laughs) So I kind of second guessed it and was like, well, maybe I don't want to do that all the time. So I ended up switching to a media music degree, which is 
kind of like other colleges, commercial music. So it kind of focuses on everything besides performing and teaching. Oh, cool. And it was great. Like we did recording and composition and I mean, everything else you can think of. So it was great. Uh, But then when I graduated, I was like, oh no, what am I going to do with this? So I basically just went around to all the music stores in the Salt Lake Valley with my resume. and was like, please hire me. I just need a job. (laughs) So thankfully it was not, I mean, I don't know if people do that nowadays. Now it's all online, but I just basically walked from store to store. I was like, hi, you should hire me. So um, I went into Summer Haze. I applied there. They hired me for a summer fall temp position. I was pregnant with our first daughter. So I kind of was like, well, I'll just work till I have my baby and then we'll be done for a while. (laughs) So I worked there for the summer and the fall. After I had my baby, I took a little break and we actually moved down to the Caribbean for my husband's school. Yeah, we were down in St. Martin for two years and it is not as glamorous as it sounds. (laughs) It's great for vacation, but living there was pretty crazy. So we were there for two years and then we came back to the States and we lived in California for a little while and um, I had had another baby. So we had two kids. We were living in California and I was working at my mom's bridal store which was really fun. The retail of that is so similar to high-end musical instruments. It's amazing, the crossover. So that was really great. And then we moved to Chicago and I worked at Sam Ash for about six months, which that was an interesting retail environment as well. Very competitive on the sales floor. It was was very good for my sales training, but really stressful environment. Oh, I bet. Yeah, we worked there, there for about six months. And then we moved back to Salt Lake. I went back to Summer Haze and was like, will you hire me again, please? So they did, which was great. So I worked there for about five years um, running their strings department. I didn't know anything about strings when they hired me. I mean, I couldn't even tell you the difference between a violin and a viola. (laughs) And (laughs) the learning curve was steep. (laughs) So I trained in that, did that for about five years really enjoyed it. I just loved learning about the instruments. I loved working with customers. I loved working with different manufacturers. It was a really, really great work environment. But by then I had had another baby. So now we're on baby three and I kind of, wow, yeah, it's a lot of kids, but there's more. So are they, they're all close in age too, right? Um, They're about three years apart. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty good gap between them all. So they're about three years. Um, cool. Yeah. So that's good. So, so let's see. So I had just had another baby and was like, you know, I don't want to work Saturdays anymore. Like I want to do all the kids stuff on Saturday. So I got a job with Maple Leaf Strings, an orchestral strings manufacturer based in Cincinnati. And they hired me on as their Western regional sales rep. So I did that for about four and a half years, loved it, traveled all over the Western United States. Uh, My territory was basically everything Colorado West. Oh, cool. It was great. Like I loved that job. I loved meeting with store owners. I loved working with the Maple Leaf people. It was super great. But I heard through the grapevine that Nick Rail was selling his company and had been kind of looking for a seller for a while. And he was one of my customers with Maple Leaf and all of his stores are around my hometown where I grew up in California. So I sent him a text and was like, Hey, I hear you're selling. And he texted me back and was like, well, I don't know how word got around, but yeah. And I was like, we should talk some more. So on my next trip out there, wow, I know it's all started with a text message. <laughs> so 
on my next trip out there, I set up a meeting with him and it kind of went from there. So it took 18 months. Yeah. It took 18 months for the whole thing to go through. It was a little touch and go there near the end. It was very stressful. Buying a business is very stressful, especially one with so many different facets like Nick Brown music, but Nick is amazing. He's been great. Like the whole thing's wonderful. So the sale of the business went through on September 19th. And then Nick worked with me full-time for a year as a consultant. And we shared an office for the first six months. Like just, I sat across from him at his desk, just trying to learn as much as I could and asked questions all day. And he was so patient. (laughs) It was great. But yeah, at the six month mark, like I think to the day is when the governor shut down all of California. So at that point, one of my repair techs didn't want to come back to work because of COVID. So Nick moved into the repair shop and he did that full time for me while I was kind of manning the desk and running the company or everything like that. Wow. But we had our one year anniversary. Yeah, we had our one year anniversary about two, a month and a half ago. And yeah, here we are. Wow. That's, and I'm, we're going to dive into all of that a little bit more, but that's so interesting how you started in college with one idea of where you wanted to go, then you changed your course, and then you've really gotten experiences in multiple sides of the music products industry. Yeah, it's it's been good. Yeah. Going off of that, you've had experience working in both manufacturing and and retail. What did you learn from each that's helped you in your career so far? So I definitely think everyone in the music industry should work on both sides at least some point in their career. Um, Working on the retail side is great. You build relationships with customers. You have a huge customer base to choose from. You can work with schools and educators and private teachers and individual people and performers and hobbyists. And your customer base is so wide that you really have to know what product is out there to help each customer with their needs. And just building those relationships so you could have like generational customers where you helped their oldest kid and their youngest kid and now their kids, you know. But then on the manufacturing side, you don't really have the opportunity to to have more customers than what are already there. Like there's only so many music stores in the country and you have to be able to work with all of them because there's really no one else to choose from. So... So that customer relationship building is really, really crucial on both sides, but just in different ways. The manufacturing side was eye-opening as far as how product comes in. I know most people get their stuff from China. So, you know, the company that I was working with did too. So working with international relations and how the, the product flow is and that the manufacturers and part of it really don't have that much control over when the product actually arrives and even what product is coming unless you actually own the whole factory and plant and everything. Wow. So when, yeah, that was really eye-opening. So when a manufacturer says, oh, you know, we're hoping it comes in six months, but we're not really sure, they're not putting you off. They really are doing their best and everything in their power to get you what you need. But there are so many things that are out of their control that it kind of is a crapshoot and you just hope it gets there when you say it's going to <laughs> So that was really eye-opening, the fact that um, manufacturers aren't just blowing smoke. Like 
it really is the reality. Like the manufacturers are being really honest with you. And so being on both sides of that, I was like, oh, they really are telling the truth. They're not just trying to push me off on something else or whatever. I mean, it really is the reality of the situation. So that's been eye-opening and just having this idea of a more collaborative relationship rather than just you sell, I buy, or I sell, you buy. That doesn't work. The music industry is too small that you really do have to have collaborative relationships. It can't just be one-sided. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it was eye-opening being on the manufacturing side and trying to build relationships with some stores and the owners didn't have that idea that they just you know, they just wanted to use me as like a checklist and that's it. But I was like, well, there's so much more I can offer, but they weren't interested. And that was kind of their loss. I don't know. Just realizing that everyone is connected in so many ways and building those relationships is so much more important than just always getting the best deal. You know what I mean? Right. And I think everyone who works in this industry, it's it's a big family, mm-hmm. even though there are so many different arms and legs to what the industry has to offer as a whole. But at the end of the day, everyone works together in some shape or form. Right, right. And I've been surprised too, moving into this role as an owner, uh, how just amazing and helpful everyone across the board has been. I mean, there are literally dozens of people that I can ask questions to and everyone will give me good answers. Like no one pushes me off. Everyone is willing to help, which I am so thankful for. I mean, the the advice and suggestions and recommendations people have been giving me have just been invaluable. And it's amazing that I can ask people, even maybe my competitors, you know, like, how are you doing this? Is this working? What's going on here? Everyone is really open. And it's not that we're trying to steal the pie from each other. We're all about making the pie bigger, which to me is an amazing industry environment to work in. That's incredible. And makes you feel good at the same time that you know that you have this network of people that you can rely on and go to and know that they'll be there to answer any questions that you have. And I would hope that, you know, people would feel the same about me. Like if anyone asks questions, I mean, I always am willing to help any way I can. When one person succeeds, we're all succeeding in music. Exactly. So let's talk about your decision to become a first-time music store owner. And like you said, you recently celebrated that one year. What made you decide that owning a chain of stores was the right move for you at the time? So both my parents are entrepreneurs and have started their own businesses and have been successful in that. So to me, it didn't ever seem like a crazy idea. Hmm. My dad had an environment, has an environmental lab, He's been running that for forever. I saw how much work was involved, but also the return. And then my mom, when I was in high school, started a formal gown store that ended up being this super successful bridal gown store that she had for I think 15, 15, 16 years. And it was great. So, so I was able to kind of see firsthand what it takes and what the rewards are. And it totally appealed to me. I mean, even all my other jobs, I always kind of wanted to be the boss of either my department or my part of the store or my territory. And I was super competitive. And <laughs> like, even at Summer Hayes, like no one was allowed to come in the strings department of my department. No one can come sell in there. <laughs> I kind of always took ownership over whatever I was doing, maybe in not the most productive way. But to me, it's like the only way that I could really function. So 
when this opportunity came up, I kind of asked other music store owners and especially other mom music store owners and was like, Hey, do you think this could work? Like, I know how much work it takes, but with the music store, is this possible? And all of them that I had talked to said, you know, if I was starting it from scratch, it doesn't work when you're trying to raise little kids just because of the sacrifice that it takes. But if you're able to step into one that's already successful and already kind of running on its own, then you can just go in and make it better. And it's so much more conducive to having kids in that environment. Interesting. It's like, okay, cool. And then when this came up, yeah, yeah, that was eye-opening to me. And when they pointed it out, I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. This, it would be impossible for me to start it from scratch with so many little kids. Cause I had another one again. (laughs) So I have four kids while doing all this, which is great. So many children. Um, but yeah, so the idea of business ownership always appealed to me. And the fact that it was Nick Brown music, I was like, oh, well, this is great. If he thinks I can do it and the bank thinks I can do it, maybe I can do it. So getting into it, for sure, there was a little bit of naivete, a little bit of ignorance, for sure. I mean, nobody knows what it is like until you're doing it. But I knew that going in, that the learning curve was going to be steep. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was super willing to learn and listen to everyone. And now that we're in it, the, the first six months were great. It was so hard and so challenging, but in the most productive, positive ways, I it, it was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I love this. I love what I'm doing. I love who I'm working with. I love just every part of it was amazing. And then when COVID hit, it was like, okay, maybe not so fun anymore. This is really hard. <laughs> and it, it was really stretching me creatively, which has been much more challenging than just learning the ropes and learning how to improve what's already there. Right. So that part has been challenging. It's still fun, but it's not quite as fun. <laughs> It'll get fun again. It'll get fun again. Yeah. But, but right now, not, not so fun. <laughs> so let's talk about your first year because you've handled a bunch of different challenges throughout the year with the unfortunate untimely passing of David Lucky Harms. And on top of that, the global pandemic. Right. How did you go about it and keep yourself strong and focused? Did you have a plan or did you just take it one day at a time? So when Lucky passed away, that hit really hard. Um, He and I had a little bit of a bumpy start at the beginning. And looking back, it's really funny. But we built such a tight bond so quickly that, I mean, I had great plans for him and what his position was going to do. And we had just promoted one of our managers to be kind of his sidekick to, you know, so they could both focus on what they were doing. And I had all these plans for his role and everything. And when he passed away at basically the last day of NAM, it threw a monkey wrench into all those plans. I was like, oh my gosh, we promoted this other guy one week ago. He barely has any training. He only had a chance to work with Lucky for a couple of days. He spent one day at NAM shadowing Lucky. I mean, it was crazy. So, but the the manager I promoted, his name is Harrison. He has been amazing. Like, I mean, I couldn't have asked for anyone better to step into that position. He's had the best attitude, just knowing how hard it was going to be and just rolling with the punches. And we'll both come across things that neither of us know how to deal with. And we're like, well, I guess we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's been, a, that part has been a super positive, positive experience with Harrison, even though it was really unfortunate that we had to lose Lucky to kind of get to this point. 
Um, things definitely would be different if he was still around, but I think that we have kind of overcome that challenge. I, I hope in a positive way. Um, so that was, that was in January. That was, I think at the three month mark of business ownership. Wow. I'm like, we should celebrate. And then something happens. I'm like, we're not celebrating. No. (laughs) So so that was the three month mark. And the six month mark, like I said, was the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit and everything closed, I was like, okay, we can handle this. It's just going to be a summer blip. We'll figure it out. No problem. So we kind of took it month by month. We started implementing new plans as far as how we were going to treat the rental returns, how we were going to treat school instrument cleanings. We came up with this whole program of all these different layers and levels of cleanings that we were offering to different schools based on their district and quantity and budget and things like that. Um, We implemented or we tried to implement group lessons, which we had never done before. We were in the middle of remodeling the stores. So we kind of were still going with that. Um, When it first started, we had like a three-month plan where I was like, okay, we just have to get to August, fall rush will hit, and then we'll be totally fine. So the summer, I felt like we had a really good energy. Everything was going well. We were super positive. Even though numbers were down, it was like, no problem. We can make it three months. It's going to be fine. And then when California canceled all of in-person learning, that's when we were like, oh, no, we didn't plan for this. Oh man. And watching the other states where they were like, oh, we're kind of going to do hybrid, but only for a little bit. And then we'll go back and this and this. I was like, well, that's for sure going to happen here. And it didn't, not at all. And that was a bigger blow than even having to close our stores for so long and be curbside for so long. Like the not going back to school was a bigger hit than everything else. Yeah. So when schools didn't go back, or if they were going back on distance learning, almost all elementary music programs were canceled because people weren't willing. It's so hard. How do you teach a kid how to play a flute when you're not even sitting in front of them or even how to put together their instrument? Like the, Oh, I know the challenges were so steep. So I understand why they did what they did, but it was pretty detrimental to our business plan where, you know, we really relied on rentals And now there are no rentals because there's no beginning to end. So when that happened, we were like, okay, we need to start. We got to start planning other things for our business model. So we really have been focusing on retail. Um, Right now we're rebuilding our whole lesson structure. Part of that is based on some of the laws in California too, that are changing with independent contractors. Cause previously all of our teachers were independent contractors but we're revamping it right now to see if that's the direction we want to go or who want to make them employees. So that's in the works. Yeah. We've really had to rethink our entire business model since we don't have those rentals to rely on. Like we used to, we're hoping that in January things will pick up, but we have a plan if they don't. So right now we're kind of like quarterly plans, but you know, 12 to 18 months is where we think it'll take until things get more back to normal. So have you gotten rentals at all? Have, are there, are there programs out there that are still having their students rent the instruments, even though it's a virtual situation? So yes and no. Uh, Part of the challenge is if there's no elementary ed, there's no beginning students and even the intermediate and advanced programs, most of them have their instruments already. 
Or if they don't, right. their enrollment class size is so small. So where normally you'd have you know 50 kids in an orchestra, now you have 12 just because they're having to do the social distancing and the teachers, people aren't signing up because nobody wants to learn online. Like there's so many contributing factors that it's a little bit crazy. Yeah. I, I understand that my mom's a music teacher. So, and she teaches beginning band. And I just remember the first like few weeks because normally like you teach the kids how to put together the instruments, how to make a sound like that's usually like a one to two week thing, but it turned into a month long process on how to exactly teach the kids. And she has to, half of them are in person, but they can't play the instruments and the other half are in school and they can play the instruments, but they have to be muted. It's like a whole, it, it's, it's just so crazy. It's the whole thing. So crazy. So you also, I believe, opened a new store in the middle of a pandemic. Is that correct? Yes. So that was not originally the plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you talk us through the process for that decision and why you felt it was the right move at the time? I don't know. Right, 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 right. right. So, okay. So we bought the company in September. And in my hometown, there was this little shop that had been there for 47 years. Wow. It was the local music store. It was so cute, but it was pretty old, kind of run down, but they'd been there for so long. So I knew that eventually, if they closed, I wanted to put a store in that location just because it's my hometown. Like I wanted to still be a music store. So I was like, okay, five years, 10 years, I'm going to keep an eye on that spot. So I reached out to the landlord when I bought the company in September and was like, hey, just throwing this out there. If down the road they're looking to sell or they're moving out, I want to be first on your list of people to contact to move into this spot. And the landlord emailed back and was like, cool, they're not renewing their lease. You can move in now. Whoa. And I was like, no, that's not what we want. We, we need like five years, you know. <laughs> And they were like, no, they didn't sign their lease. You can sign the new lease in November or I'm going to give it to other people. And who knows when you'll be able to do it then. And I was like, oh no, this is way too soon. But I really didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. So we signed paperwork in November to move in in March. So I was like, okay, that, that'll be fine. You know, I'll have six months of learning this business and then we'll open this new store, new store, which I knew wanted to be a string shop. Cause that was my background and specialty. So I was like, okay, okay. It's gonna be totally fine. And then COVID hit and we got, so we got possession of the building March 1st and everything closed March 17th. Wow. And I was like, that's not great timing. <laughs> so, but we had it. So I was like, well, we might as well try to make it work. We have this lease. Here we go. So the original plan was to open May 1st, but with COVID, everything was closed and we couldn't even get the supplies needed to, to like build out the store. Like I, none of the flooring stores were open and none of the cabinetry people were open. And if they were open, they didn't have any of the inventory and it was crazy. So it took us six months or five months to just do the build out. And thankfully, the landlord was being really great and was like, well, you know, I won't charge you rent until you're actually able to open, but 
you need to be like working on it. You can't just be building out for forever. And I was like, cool, that's great. As soon as we can, we'll open. So we opened August 3rd and it's beautiful. Like I love my new store. Aww. It's so beautiful. I, I love it. Like it's where my main office is. It makes me happy every time I show up. I just love it. Yeah. Um, but I was a little worried. Yeah, it's it's been great. So the store is great. That's great. Um, I was a little worried that the community was not going to be receptive to a new music store because the other one has been there for so long. Um, but every day we get people walking in just wanting to look and see what we're all about. And everyone loves it. They're so happy it's still a music store. I feel so much just community embracing, which is great. So that's, that's been really great. But also it's not like you're a random person moving into a store in a town, like you grew up in that town. So you have roots there. So it's still a local store, even if, even if it wasn't the original. Exactly. And we made sure that that was our big marketing push, like local Camarillo girl, you know, sets up shopping hometown. Like I went to school (laughs) here and my kids are in school here. And so we really were trying to push that to be like, look, 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 I'm from here. I'm not like an outsider. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So it wasn't in the plans to open up during a pandemic. It, It wasn't the plan to open a store, even though it was five years sooner than we wanted, but it was kind of too late at that point. So we're just like, well, we'll make it work. Exactly. And it's interesting because the opportunity presented itself, even though you had your own plan, Mm -hmm. the universe was like, no, this is happening now. (laughs) Right, right, right. Take it or leave it. (laughs) I know. Because I definitely was expecting the landlord to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, their lease is up in five years or three years or whatever, and we'll see. But it was like, oh, no, you can move in now. I was like, oh. That's really soon. <laughs> but that's also interesting because they, this was, this happened pre pandemic. And it's interesting right. that they decided not to renew their lease pre pandemic. Who knows what it would have happened? Like, it, it's just interesting to think about like what would have happened. I know. <laughs> I know. It did occur to me as we were doing the build out, I was like, man, they're probably glad they're out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Like they probably thought they dodged a bullet and they're laughing at me. And <laughs> oh, Hey, well, but I commend are. you. This is, this is incredible to just have this opportunity and seize it, even though the world around us is not normal and we're living through this pandemic. You saw the opportunity, you seized it. And now look where you are a year later. Yeah. So this whole process is like from the, when the moment Nick and I started talking about selling the, like buying the business to now, I think I'm a little bit over taking any more risks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've adventured out like no more. I just want things to be super predictable and super normal. No more risks or anything. <laughs> no more adventures for a while. Hey, at least you know that you can handle it and then you can uh, you can do so it successfully. Far, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, a year from now, I'm not listening to this recording being like, oh man, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you're a mom with young kids. How does your family balance work with, and your time together and your schedules, especially now as a business owner? So, 
so yeah, so I have four kids. I have a 12-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old. No, oh, she just turned 13. I have a 13-year-old daughter. Oh. Yeah, her birthday <laughs> was last weekend, so I, I forgot. So Happy belated birthday. <laughs> so she just turned 13. Uh, I have a 10-year-old son, a 6-year-old son, and then a daughter who just turned three. So there's a 10-year oh. span between them. It's great. Being a mom is super, super hard, but... I realized early on that I'm a much better mom when I work. Um, hmm. I tried being a stay-at-home mom for about a year when I had two kids. And I, it was so hard. Like, I don't want to say I hated it, but it was so hard. I was not happy. I was not a good mom. I was not a good wife. It, it wasn't working. And so my husband and I decided that I have got to go back to work. So that's when I went back to work for summer haze the second time. And since then I've worked full-time. So with working full-time up to this point, it's kind of just our natural family groove. Like the kids know, you know, dad and I go to work, we come home in the evenings, we do, you know, homework, dinner, bedtime. That's just our family routine. So buying a business and being a business owner was not that drastic of a change for my family. I was already working full-time with my job with Maple Leaf. I was traveling. So I was gone overnight. We all kind of were used to this routine. Um, the biggest challenge right now with being a working mom is the stress level is so different. Yeah. Like working for someone else. Yeah. I had goals I had to make. I was busy, but the stress was different. And so right now, um, my husband and I are working together. So he's actually my, um, COO and VP. So he's in charge of kind of the money and making sure things are running okay. And we've been doing that for about 10 months. Nice. And it's been great. Like my husband has been amazing. There's no way I could have been going through this without him. Just, you know, business support, emotional support, mental support, family support. Um, that, that's been really good. Um, honestly, the hardest part with all of this being a working mom and a business owner mom and having all these kids has been the distance learning yeah. where now we're homeschool teachers that there's no way I could have done it without my husband. He really has taken that role on and just is so organized with the kids is so on top of their homework. So I don't have to worry about it. And I can just focus on the business. Um, we're a little bit in the reverse traditional roles like that, but for us right now, it's, it's working. It, it's got to work. It's the only thing that can kind of get us through this. Um, it's not ideal. Like ideal would be to send the kids to school and, you know, go back to our normal routine. Right. But that, that's been hard. So I, I do think that leading up to this, we were already in a routine of me working. So that wasn't a big change or anything, but the stress level, that's been a little difficult to manage. Uh, so we've been really open with the kids about what's going on. Like I'll come home from work and be like, you guys, I had a really stressful day. I'm really sorry. If I'm short with you guys, it's not directed at you. Just, you know, I'm trying to be really patient and I'm, I just have a lot of stress on my mind right now. And they're really receptive and they'll be like, okay, mom, we understand, you know, we are, we're trying to do our homework. So, you know, we're ready for bedtime and this and this, and just having this open communication of what all of our expectations are for each other is actually really helpful. And I don't know if that's typical for other parents and their kids, but, but they do it to me too, where I'll come home and they'll be like, mom, I'm really stressed about school. I'm really stressed about this. And then I'm like, well, let's talk it through, you know, what can we do to help each other? And so that 
that I think is kind of one of the ways that can make it work. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it really is setting expectations and boundaries on both sides of the table for, you know, me and my husband, me and my kids, my kids and us just having this open communication about what we all need and what we want from each other is crucial. I get asked a lot about how, just how I juggle the time. Um, and really the only answer is you just have to make it work. Like there is no option. You have to make it work. Also, there's no guide of how to do it. You know, <laughs> right. that's right. And some days I'm a way better boss than I am a mom, or there's some days I'm a way better wife than I am a boss. Like you have to realize that that's the reality of the situation and not hold yourself to ridiculous, ridiculous standards. Like there are so many things that when I first became a mom, I was like, Oh, I'm never going to do that. Or oh, I'm always going to do this. And now I'm like, Psh, those are out the window. If we can just get to the end of the day and everyone is healthy, happy, and has finished their tasks. That is a total win. Like doesn't even matter. Um, but yeah, so just realizing what's important at the time and being super, super organized. Like I know self-care is a big thing and I will literally put it in my calendar that I am going to take 30 minutes to just read a book and it's in my calendar and it's just as important as all my other appointments. And it just kind of keeps me me and keeps me refreshed for all the other things that I need to do. But yeah. People are like, how do you do it? I'm like, you just have to do it. There's no other option. You have to do it. Like you can't not do it. And I, I know that sounds so, it doesn't like, it sounds so illogical, but it is what it is. Like you, you just have to do it. Oh, it's, I, I'm with you a hundred percent. Self-care is number one on my list as well. And it never used to be, but I learned the hard way that it needed to be. So, um, just, yep. it, it, it's logical to me. Maybe it's not logical to other people, but it's, I, I feel you a hundred percent. Yep. And with the mom stuff too, I mean, people set so many unrealistic expectations for what it is to be a mom. It's like, it's crazy. I, you know, when I, when I had two kids, I was really comparing myself to other moms and even my siblings. And cause my sisters are stay at home moms. So I was always like, oh my gosh, they're such good moms and this and this, but everyone is their own thing. And I'm me and I don't need to worry about what other people are doing. And if my kids aren't, I, I don't know, it just, you need to just set up realistic expectations for yourself and lower your standards on things that don't matter. Like it does not matter to me if my kids' rooms are clean every single day. It doesn't matter. Like it's fine. They can clean it once a week. And that's fine. And I go over to people's houses that are spotless and all their kids' rooms are immaculately decorated and everything. And it's amazing. And I'm like, good for them. That is a skill they have. I don't, but I have other skills. So that's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? It's like, lower those expectations. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. And that's going to just lower the stress around you in general. Exactly. Exactly. Because that could be a weight on your shoulders. Oh, totally. Totally. Like realistic expectations are so important. Like, yes, my kids need to be fed, clean, be in school, that, and like turn them into functioning, contributing adults. And that's it. Like everything else is just fluff. And if we get to it, that's great. If not, it's fine. It's totally fine. So I have one final question for you that goes along with being a mom and your family, but also just you yourself, 
if you could make sure your daughters learned one thing from your example, what would it be? Mm. And son. Yeah, right, right, right. All, All your my kids. kids. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be just your daughters. Right. Um, <laughs> to just do it. I don't know. Like, I hope that they have confidence because I think courage is different than confidence. And I hope that they have confidence and just aren't afraid of risks and aren't afraid of trying and, and know that they can do it. That that's the big thing. I mean, even with buying this business, everyone that I was talking to was like, Oh my gosh, aren't you like, that's such a, you're so brave. You're so courageous, but I, I'm not, I knew I could do it. I didn't think I was going to fail at it. So it wasn't really a risk. So, you know, people are, people have said that I'm courageous, but I don't think I am. I'm confident. There's a lot of things that I don't risk because I think I might fail at it. So courage, I don't think is the right word, but I hope that they have confidence and just know that they can do it and that the things that they think are out of reach are not out of reach. And there's no reason why they can't do anything anyone else does. I mean, even with, you know, people ask me all the time, well, why did you buy Nick Rail? And why did you think that was the right thing? Like, well, if it was not going to be me, it was going to be someone else. So why not me? You know? Right. It's, it's a little, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant because that's not what it is. It's just this real reality of, well, if it's going to be someone that someone could be me. So here we go. And I hope my kids learn that, that they, if it's going to be someone, why not them? They should be able to do, and they can do whatever things that they put themselves, their minds to. I love it. Your outlook is very inspiring. Seriously. And a lot of roll with the punches and fake it till you make it. And <laughs> we'll just see what happens. But it's so, but you're so real about it too. And you're honest about it. And I think that's what makes your story very inspiring is that you have, you had your mind set on something, but you also understand the reality behind it. But you're setting this example for other women to look at you and see that they can do it too. And I think that's I great. I so. Yeah. All growing up, I always kind of thought I should have been born a boy because I always wanted to do like the be in charge and I wanted to be the boss and I was super bossy growing up. I mean, my husband will tell you that I'm pretty bossy. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, and I always thought that it was like, man, I should have been born a guy because then I could be the boss and then I could do these things. And it wasn't until I was much older after college and, you know, into my career that I was like, no, no, no. Being a woman is a whole nother like benefit that there's so many more things I can accomplish as a woman that I think people shy away from Mm. and they shouldn't. Like there are definite benefits of being a woman. I mean, there are for sure, there are things that are not like there's definitely sexism that I've had to deal with and all of that, which we don't want to talk about because it's negative and we don't care about that right now. But all the positive things, there are so many things as a woman that are beneficial that we you should be, you could do anything. Like I'm glad that I'm a woman in a leadership role and not wishing that I was still a man like I was growing up. So yeah, so it's good. So I hope everyone just, you know, has confidence and just realizes that they are amazing and they can do it. And why not? You know, you're here. Well, thanks, Laura. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for telling your story and being so 
raw and real and just yourself. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. I hope, you know, if people listen to this, that they will, you know, believe in themselves. Because if it's going to be someone, might as well be them, right? Exactly. (laughs) It'll be good. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Swim Masters. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all new things swim. We'd love it if you'd share and leave us a review. If you would like to learn more, please visit www.smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond and Natalie Morrison. See you next time.